Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And once again, welcome to your next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. Really delighted and happy to welcome onto the show today, Tanya Bailey. Tanya and I have crossed paths in the squash world quite a few times and we we did our coaching badge together at one point and I've got a lot of respect for her as a coach and as a player. She's done some phenomenal things in her career so far and it's safe to say that she is fully immersed and invested in the sport we all love and I think this chat is very timely. So as a junior, Tanya won the British Junior Open and pretty much won everything that was going as a junior player and she was massively successful in her senior career as well, reaching a career high of world number four and winning numerous titles and numerous world team championships along the way, and also got a couple of medals at the Commonwealth Games. 
But where Tanya has become really strong and really doing some great work is within the female side of the game. And that was my reason for inviting her on the show and really trying to understand a lot of the differences with female squash players. Obviously, there's an overlap and and a lot of the lessons that we speak about within this podcast do transfer to both domains for males and females. But I really try to go down the, the, the route and look at it through the lens of the big differences with female players. And I think a very timely chat and hopefully a chat that I think is really important to have. There's a lot of conversations around confidence, body image, the differences between male and female in the physical sense. But we also talk a lot about the emotional side of female squash and how to how how she recommends getting the best out of her players in regard to little lessons, little tools, and things that she's doing on a steady and consistent basis to really help understand how females work, how they operate, and what's going on mentally and physically with their games. So like I said, it really does look at it through a lens of the female squash player, but there are so many nuggets of wisdom in here, and I learned so much in this conversation. It's one of my most enlightening conversations I think I've had in, in the last several months or so, and I feel I've got a bigger toolkit and a better understanding of the needs and the wants and the impact I can have on female squash players. So I hope that those are listening, both male and female, will will get a lot out of this. There's a lot of great nuggets around the 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 messages we should be giving female players and how we can really encourage them to be the best versions of themselves that they can be and I just hope that with a good bit of a listen and really extracting some of the key bits of this podcast whether you are female or whether you're male you'll get a hell of a lot out of this conversation it takes many different routes as always and we pick up on a, on a few threads and like you could probably hear towards the end of the conversation Tanya and I could probably sit for for hours, you know, in a day and and talk about this type of stuff. So I'm really delighted to welcome Tanya Bailey to the show. And with all her expertise, her knowledge, her personal experiences, there can be no one better to talk about the subject. So I hope you enjoy. And here is Tanya Bailey. Tanya Bailey, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. Thank you for spending the oh, cool. It's been a while since we caught up, isn't it? And yeah, um, too long, too long, too long. And we had a bit of a good offline chat and caught up really quickly. Um, but listen, I think a great place for us to jump jump in at is um, maybe for those of that that don't know you, which I think is quite small in the squash world. Um, could you give a brief maybe introduction to yourself, some of your background as a player, and then transitioning into a, a high level coach at the moment, and bring us up to uh, the present moment where you at yeah definitely so yeah um as you said i'm tanya um so i started playing squash at nine uh went through quite a few different sports until about i think 12 13 i focused fully on squash um yeah i've, I've had a really successful junior career um won the the british junior open the world junior champs european junior champs so yeah i was at i did plan on going to uni but um i just when i won the world juniors i thought no look i've, I've got I've, I've sort of felt like i got what it takes to go full-time rather than um sort of delay it so yeah i went full-time at that point um my senior career was um fantastic i had a great time but also um successful with four in the world was my highest ranking got to england's number one um british open final won the world team championships with england which was a very um sort of 
best memory that I've got really working with um, a group of players, which was unusual in squash, obviously. Mm. Um, I also I played European Championships several times, captained England. Um, yeah, and got two gold, um, not two gold, oh, if only two gold, um, <laughs> a, a silver and a bronze at Commonwealth Games. So they were also like highlights of the, my career. So yeah, which, which um, I retired. Was that, um, was that Kuala Lumpur? Um, no, it was um, Manchester and Melbourne. Okay. So we had, yeah, I played a, I played a, another one in Delhi as well. Um, mm. So we had quite a few Commonwealth Games experience, which was great. Um, nice. And now actually, yeah, I went into coaching. I sort of transitioned a bit towards the end of my career because I had a few injuries, um, knee injuries and um, hip injuries. So unfortunately, I sort of probably stopped playing slightly earlier than I'd liked. I went. I transitioned, started doing a bit of coaching within the first, last two years of my career, and then um, went into it full time once I'd, I'd retired. And and yeah, I've been working with England squash. Um, I do some of the junior junior squads, the junior teams. I've worked with the senior players on squads, um, European teams, and going to the Commonwealth Games this year with them, which would be great. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of work in my own club as well, private coaching, um, tutor the coaching courses. So yeah, quite quite a lot of stuff going on. Really, I wish I could do even more. Um, but yeah, there's only so. I've got two children yeah. who are six and nine, so I've, there's only so much time in the day. But um, I try and do as much as I can for the sport. Mm. Well, I, can, I think we can safely say that that squashes your life. And I think I'm I'm very similar, sitting on this side of the screen. That um, you know, you you've come like a glittering junior career, glittering senior career, and now, like you say, giving back to the game at at, at the highest level and and having positive influences on people all over. Over, you know whether that be the club level females juniors and and massively admirable so you know and we, we've done a bit of work in the past and gone through our coaching badges at it maybe a similar rate at some point and that was a great experience um so just quickly before we maybe dive into it uh, you say there's things you want to explore and do more of tell us what what, what are you thinking there I, th- I think that to be honest I, um, through lockdown it did get me thinking about the sort of responsibility we have to the game and I guess I've, I've worked at that level sort of with with the pros, with the players that are very established and with the juniors that are... And I guess for me, it's more that um, that grassroots stuff, the participation stuff that I've, I I try and help in my club, but I probably... I want to try and do more maybe within the county, within, within the sort of clubs around me, because um, that is what we need to keep the game going, obviously, those players. And I think it's made me realise that that is so important, how... how even, even the coaches that I tutor, how they go back into their clubs and build a programme that's really inclusive and everyone mm. like is enjoying playing squash and stuff. So I think I'm, I'm battling in my head, to be honest, because I'm working at that sort of elite level, but also I want, and I totally see that lower level as being important and, and I'm, I'm sort of struggling to fit where, mm. where I can really give my best. And I think um, I'm trying to do it all, but yeah. that's, the, yeah, that's, that's tricky. Yeah. Well, well, good to hear. And, and again, I've, I've obviously known you a little bit more at that kind of sharp end of the pyramid, you know, right at that elite level. And it's, it's great to hear that you think you might start to filter some of your, uh, your time, effort and energy down to that base of the pyramid. And yeah, again, I, I wrestle with that a little bit as well. Sometimes thinking like, you know, we see that, uh, that kind of chair on top of the cake and we think that's it but actually we need that base of that pyramid to sustain it all don't we absolutely and I get I get absolutely massive joy from coaching in my club um it doesn't matter who like say I've coached a lady in her 60s 70s a few weeks back and she'd never played squash before and you'd like come off and you're like wow this is this is amazing and then you've got like seven-year-old kids and and those those 
those members that are just so keen. I mean, you can't, you literally come away and you've got a big smile on your face and you're like, you've given them something that they've, they've loved. And that's, I think I love that as much as, as much as anything is sometimes it's the best, best coaching, isn't it? That sort of yeah. key, the keen, really absolutely keen as mustard ones that you can't get them off court. So Perfect. Yeah, no, lovely. And while that probably transition us, transitions us really nicely to, I think, a big part of this conversation today, and, and, and for me, I'll be super honest with the listeners, this is out of my comfort zone, and I, I purposely want to put myself out of it. And I think um, knowing what you've done in squash at, at the elite level, knowing how you're maybe thinking about the grassroots level, a lot of our chat today is going to be based around the mindset and mentality of female squash. So I think maybe a, a good place for us to jump in and, and look at it maybe broadly to start with is possibly the differences that could be faced between males and females when it comes to playing squash. And look, we'll drill down a little bit deeper into some of the topics as this conversation progresses. But broadly speaking, Tanya, um, what do you see the big differences and that you could share with us um, and, and for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... Um, it's something that I'm very passionate about and I've thought a lot about and as a player myself a female player I've had these challenges and now I work with female players and I've played alongside them um, and I've also got a daughter now as well so it's something I, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily I wouldn't say an expert in as in the scientific side of everything but I do have like a real honesty about the way I see it and what I think and what I know and it's all come from my own experience but um, yeah I mean the, the the main difference, I think it's important to say, like, we don't say male and female are completely different. Every female's like this, every male's like that. That's where mm -hmm. I, I worry when I talk about this a bit. It's just, we need to be aware that we are, we are different. Some girls will probably slide along and be more like a guy. Some guys will slide down and be more like, like a girl. And the, the way they are physically or the way they are mentally, it's not like this complete contrast, but I think in general terms and relatively male to female, there are differences. There are things we, we can't ignore them. And I, I'm, I know it's the world we live in at the moment is very much like you shouldn't really say our oh, girls and boys are different, but, but we are different. <laughs> we can't ignore so, it. So, I mean, obviously the, the biggest obvious one is, is physically. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we have got like our bodies are built to have children. That's that. We can't change that. We have bigger hips. Um, we have less muscle mass, we have hearts smaller, There's so uh, we have higher body fat. We can't get away from this stuff in general, we do. Um, and I think that's something that people need to be aware of when obviously we're training and when girls are growing up and stuff. It's, it, is, it is hard. It's a, it's a physical sport squash and mm -hmm. you have to like be in the best shape possible. And it isn't as easy for girls to get that potentially as, as, as guys. But I think there's, 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 there's a number of like... I think mentally we're, we're um, again, like sort of broadly speaking, things like confidence and um, like sort of belief in yourself and, and outwardly showing it is it's something that girls do struggle with. They sure. don't want to sort of be in their face showing off and stuff. But boys, generally, you see them around town, you're always going to see the big boys standing there sort of in the gym <laughs> looking in the mirror. Whereas yeah. the girls, they wouldn't necessarily want to look in the mirror in the gym. Um, so I think there's there's a, there's a few things like that, a lot of it around confidence, really, and, and just outwardly sort of 
and physically. So mm-hmm. um, I think the game itself, we'll, I know we'll go into it, but tactically it's different. The rallies are shorter, mm-hmm. the type of squash that played. This is, again, general, top level, yep. very top level. Obviously, you see girls that like do have brutally long rallies. But generally, if you watch a junior tournament mm. and a club match between a female and a, another female or male, male, it, it, the rallies are shorter. And the, the game is, there is a few bit more lifting, a few more drops, Guys yeah. tend to smash, want to smash a hole in the front wall, which uh, we uh, we often see, and that that's on a, on a general terms. That's that's what happens. So yeah, mm. I mean, there's there's a, there's a plenty of there's a lot of differences um, that I think it just is good to be aware of, rather than trying to always think we treat them the same and they're going to be the same and and they've got to sort of act and play the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, I, and that's exactly what we're going to unpack today and really make this a, a big theme. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be trying to bring it back to the mindset, but obviously we're going to touch on the physical side. But actually, because of the physical side, there's a mental approach to this as well and how we deal with that. And I think you're you're going to be an expert at this. And when we say expert, I just want to kind of clarify what, what you said earlier that, yeah, listen, what we're talking about is your own personal experience, isn't it? You know, yeah. I think you said to me before we started recording, you don't profess to have all the scientific knowledge. And that's hundred percent fine it's authentic chats it's genuine chats around about what you've experienced as a player and now transitioning into into that coaching role so yeah i think these are massively valuable chats and what i'm already hearing you say is is we need to speak about this we need to put onto a platform that that it's okay to talk about and we will get into that nitty-gritty in a little bit but um let's talk about that physical side first i think that that's a real good uh maybe launching place to go into it feels like we'll look at all the different buckets like physical technical tactical and maybe mentally emotional um so big physical differences i know you do a lot of work with england squash around this where do you want to start with that tanya and and how do you address the physical differences in the in the female game yeah, I think, like I said, I know um, I just mentioned, obviously, at the bodies are not necessarily built for sport like guys are. And we have we do have issues with turning and speed and power. And we do have bigger hips. That's um, a scientific that is proof. Um, and I think so. We have to just put in some sessions as in the sort of physical side where we are getting players twisting and turning more, getting low back and coming out and driving the hip through the ball. I do loads of this or talk Mm. about the hips a lot and driving through and turning and twisting. And I think that's an area that we have to just work on more. So I'd get a lot of of cones out and get people dropping back, touching cones coming out. Um, So that's, that's an important area, but I think, and also obviously muscle, muscle mass, we need like for us to get into those extended ranges and be able to play on balance it's tougher our core like like i said our body fat is percentages on average is higher mm-hmm. core strength is a massive part of squash and that's an area that we have to work work at we have to probably like the core work um sit-ups and what have you and lunges with like maybe just like rotation and stuff like that is really important to do and there's quite a few things on court that guys would also improve with mm-hmm. but it's just something I always sort of make sure girls don't try and don't leave out of their session so um like I said so it is really about those extended ranges and the power and the, and the strength to get out into those under pressure positions and back out so it's just putting players in those positions whether you're feeding them or whether you do it with a, a set pattern of movement or ghosting or whatever it is but um I think it's just really important just to be aware of that I think um the other thing is obviously like arm muscular strength. So mm-hmm. high volleys, you find when you, especially young girls, they lose a lot of points on return of serve on the backhand, particularly um, 
and it's something like I used to get like just therabands and just do a lot of sort of work with my with my switch or swinging the arm and getting that strength through arm high high ranges just to get and I think it it all leads back to what you said there Jesse with the confidence so if someone's serving at me and I've done a load of this strength stuff and I've, I've, I've got my core strong my arms sort of up there I've got used to that movement I'm standing there thinking I'm all right here I can mm. return this serve if they hit a good one rather than back off frightened sort of and I stand there a bit with my racket down thinking I'm not going to get it and that that then links to body language and that all does and I think um to the physical side it's, it's important but then it, it like you said it links to that confidence it links yeah. to not being frightened it links to showing look I'm, I'm here I can play squash and I'm good and I, I'm strong mm. and I'm fit and um yeah so that that I think yeah. it, it links really well there and there's so many little threads I'm going to pull on here um first thing I, I want to um refer people to some of the work you've done with squash skills some really, really strong playlists on there. Um, there was one in particular, I think the, the, the high backhand volley or the high volley was one that came yeah. to mind and you showed some good technical points. And then the other one was, was again about, I think, female movements of the yeah. game. And I saw you doing your cones and yeah, how you yeah. twist the hips a little bit and how you're getting yeah, yeah. Uh, moving. And actually, I've used those myself. So thank you for putting those out there oh, to the general great. public because they're so, so valuable. So yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend any um, ladies, girls, teenagers listening to this that haven't seen Tanya's work on squash skills, please go see it in that sense. And then, yeah, the mindset. I think that's, that's a huge thing. And, and the, because my question was, how do you, I suppose a two-part, how do you encourage girls to do that little bit of extra physical work like you're suggesting and then equally so how it transfers into the matches? But I think you've answered part of it because it sounds like with the confidence in regard to how your shaping up for the shot your presentation your body language that then gets on a positive mental spiral in an upward spiral for for everything from there would you say so so again yeah. any any thoughts about the, the 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 mental aspect linking into the physical aspect i think um you 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 find a, a little bit of a resistance at times obviously for, for girls to do these movements and to push themselves to the very limit in training it's, it's sort of I don't, I don't there's a there's a, there's a little bit of a block where it's like guys are just will just absolutely kill themselves and girls maybe you're a little bit more resistant to it and and I think it's about it's about showing role models and about being a role model I know like I I don't worry about necessarily what I look like while I'm trying to show something and mm-hmm. I'm not worried I'm just going to chuck myself out there and show them and whether or if I look whatever I look like I don't mind and I, I, I find for me being a role model allows people to go oh yeah that, like she's doing it why don't I so I've got I've got that I'm a bit lucky in the sense that I can be that female role model mm-hmm. but there's so many others out there now that we can highlight and we can video and just to, just to break that barrier of all oh, that that very initial bit of getting them through and um be re- realizing that it's okay like it doesn't matter what you look like you want to play squash you want to be good at squash mm. it's a physical sport you can't get away from the fact that you don't want to if you don't want to do it then squash is probably not the sport for you <laughs> you know what I mean right, it, is, yeah. it is physical and I think that um I mean I, I the mental side of it I always stem back for me personally to as a child growing up my parents never held me back. So I always, 
they they always encouraged me so they always mm. said off off you go go and try that sport go and try that sport get on your bike fall off whatever it doesn't matter and they mm-hmm. they never worried about they would have worried about me but I never knew they did <laughs> like do you know yeah. what I mean so I, my mum was very much try. she was sporty and would do anything so she went went into everything without without fear and I yeah. think that was what was good for me so I think I'm, I know we're talking about obviously players and stuff but but as a parent it's making sure you have that sort of encouragement you have that belief because I knew I felt like my mum and dad believed I could do anything nice and that sort of that helped I, I know that my confidence has come from that so they'd, they'd do it with me as well and I think they'd go out and that we'd be doing all these things and they and they and I just got such an enjoyment out of physical sport I had a brother as well and they didn't necessarily treat us any differently. But if I look back, there was things my dad probably did with me that he knew I needed to do a bit more of, but it didn't necessarily mm-hmm. tell me that. He just mm-hmm. sort of came and did a bit more training with me somewhere, that, like came down to the club and did a bit of like whatever it was, two ball feeds we used to do loads of where you came inside to side and stuff. Yep. And we used to get out on the track. And I, I guess it's it's that, it is that support and encouragement from people around you, isn't it, as well? That allowed me to believe in myself and not worry I've, I've I've got friends whose parents have got. Oh, do you think you should do that? And all of that. Oh, are you sure? Are you sure you should do that? Or oh, I don't think you're going to be very good at that. And you just like I can see the child like they just stepping back into themselves, and they know they don't have that have that belief. So you just got to, yeah, like just give them that. That's really helped me. I, I definitely feel like that was something that, and I think that's something that um, I know it's slightly or maybe not what we were talking about, but the parent side of it is really important as well. When you Listen, I, I, well, no, I want to explore that. I think because a lot of people listening will be parents and they might not be, you know, they'll be influencers, whether they're coach, whether they even some of the young girls I coach are already coaching younger girls yeah. as well. So there's so many little avenues here. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's a really strong message for parents and influencers of younger girls and um, that positive reinforcement that you know encouraging the, the growth mindset i talk a lot about growth mindset yeah, it's, it's, you're not rewarding the the, the 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 young players or the girls for their talent you're rewarding them or complimenting them for their processes and the way they did the thing for their their behaviors and their attitudes rather than just the end result so yeah. i think there's a little piece there to explore but let me flip it on its head a little bit now tanya and you probably worked with a, with a lot of players like this so what if they're not getting that support at home or from their, their influencers, so to speak? And now you have a girl, a teenage girl, even, even a middle-aged woman, whoever it yeah, may yeah. be, and they come to you with those, those issues, those confidence, that, that negative self-belief, that negative spiraling, like I'm not good enough. And, and, and you said like they, they, they're wilting away from themselves, yeah. they're going into their shell. Any tools or thoughts about how you approach that and how you maybe mentioned a few, but if you could reinforce some, yeah. what do you think? I think, and, and and I do. Obviously, I won't name it. You know, but I have I have players now, which are exactly how we've just we've just talked about, and um, that was a challenge for me as a coach initially because I was like, "What? Well, hang on, why do they not think that?" But now I've obviously started to understand that we are different, and everyone has their like certain ways that they they are and think. And I, for me, it's um, I think I. <laughs> I did use quite a bit, even, I mean, I was confident, but don't doubt that I was, I still was nervous and I worried about things. Like, I don't want to pretend that I was the most confident player in the world because I wasn't, um, but I portrayed myself as that, whether I was or not. But um, I think I, I like that, those mental tools of, um, I think things like staying in, when you're, when you're there in a match, it's, it's 
just concentrating on just this point, just this shot, that sort of stuff. I know that they talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just constantly for me, it's for me reinforcing to them that they can do it. So even though they maybe don't believe it, I can, I'll set them up a practice and absolutely big up when they do it well. So when I see them doing what I'm, what I'm talking about, looking good, I'll be like, look at you there. Look how good you are. Look how strong you are. So it's, it's that constant positive and, and even when I do that, I always get these players that, that I, I now I do work with say, oh yeah, but what about that? That didn't look great. That bit didn't look good. And I didn't, and I'm like, no, I'm like, no, 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 you've just done it five times well. Let's ignore that bit and, and just constantly keep picking them back to the positive rather than because you will find that players, I think it's it's it happens a lot. They'll pick on that one or two things that they've done badly, don't they? Which we 100%. see. So I'm like, no, look how strong you were there. Oh, but that movement didn't look strong. I didn't feel that quick there. Yeah, what about those three you've just done? And you have to keep, yeah, what? And keep asking them, okay, so what about that good one? How did that feel? So I think, and mm. even when I'm, like you text obviously a lot these days, so a lot of conversation through coaches is on is through text as well. And even then, if they put in negative words, I always try and spin them all the time. So I think that works for me where you try and just spin things a lot. And at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff I talk about is what's the worst that could happen? What mm-hmm. is it really? What is it? If you lose this rally or if you fall over right now with on court with me, what, what matters? Like, doesn't matter, does it really? And it's sort of just trying to get the sort of the real relative to, to the world we live in. Like, what is this, yeah. this game of squash losing and mm. this, this shot you might not hit perfect or that movement or you might not like feel your best today but it doesn't have you really have you matter. seen have you seen Carl Sagan's uh, the little blue dot it's it's, no. it's a so basically it's it's all about it looks at the earth which is a little blue dot and he zooms out and he's talking about everyone that's ever been and everyone that's ever going to come is on this little blue dot and what it's trying to do is zoom out and go all of the things that happened in the past and all the things that are going to still happen in the future you know, we're one small speck on this dusty rock blue dots hurtling through the universe and in simple terms, does it really matter? You know, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like giving you perspective of a very zoomed out. I'll send it to you yeah, after yeah. because it's quite a quite a mind-blowing uh, little like three-minute wow. clip just to get you to go, yes, we get so wrapped up in that that moment we're in. And yes, it's important. And squash is a big part of my life, a big part of your life, a big part of a lot of people's lives. And yeah, it's, it's important. We don't want to unvalidate that, so to speak. But actually, yeah. when you really step out and zoom out and, and all the things that have ever come and all the things that are ever going to be, it, it gives you a little bit of balanced perspective. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't really matter in this moment and, yeah, and it yeah. will pass, won't it? That's what I'm hearing yeah. you say a little bit. And, and that's yeah, a strong message. Definitely. And I think I think with all of this, it's little steps. I, I think people need to understand that it's normal to be a bit anxious and nervous. And I don't know any sports person, anyone out there. That's, I mean, I, I still walk before a squad before a match I even play or before I do a lesson, I've still, I've got that little nervousness inside me, how it's going to go. And I've been coaching 10 years and I've played squash since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's so, I think trying to normal, that is a normal thing. We And to talk to the people close to you and express that is fine. I think that's the battle we've got with, especially players that are playing against other people. They don't want the other girls to maybe know but you, you just tell your close-knit people. They're the ones to go, look, I feel really, really nervous today. I feel really bad and I don't feel confident. And and we can help, obviously that group can help you with it. But I think it's just making sure, I think you 
you don't necessarily want to like say tell your rivals but you want to you want to make sure you don't bottle it up either so I think that's something yeah. I find and and you're I talk to players in the I, I talk to players in the top 10 in the world right now that you wouldn't believe how nervous they get you mm-hmm. people would be like they look fine they look so strong and they look so good and I'm like if only they knew how they really felt because it's not it's not how you perceive it a lot of the time and I think so and I think it is small steps for me just definitely these little little like each sort of week each sort of month step you can't go from being like physically maybe not in not as strong as you want to be and then mentally and then be suddenly this like absolutely strong like confident person and not everyone's always going to be this out like we've all got levels haven't we so Mm. don't don't sort of expect yourself too much but yeah I think little Mm. steps and 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 just making sure each time you praise yourself for that little Mm. progress I think that's so important like just stepping back and I did that well oh yeah I did that well and and sort of becoming this like bigger um more confident person Mm. And, and yeah, so many little um, messages you're, you're sparking off there that, that I just want to reinforce. I'm lucky enough to interview Ali Farag recently, um, a couple of months ago, and he's just won the World Open again. And he actually said achieving success in his life and achieving the World Open was, was, was all about celebrating the baby steps along the way. He used to stop. He used to pause. He used to go, oh, I've reached top 30 in the world or I've reached top 25. I've beaten my first top 10 player. And he says, yes, we all want to be the best we can be, but we can't just keep looking at that very outside external goal that could be so far away. It's it's registering and understanding those little steps along the way and celebrating success. I think that that's something that we, we're not very good at. And then the second point, which is really interesting, it happened the other day on one of my lessons I gave. Um, one of the girls I coach, she's really good at art. She does a lot of art and, you know, she's got this hundred page um, book of art. And I'm, I'm using this as an analogy now for what you just said. And, you know, she was getting frustrated with herself and, you know, she would be, be going through this and she'd get to like, say, page 100 and she'd flip back to like page 98, 99, you know, the couple of pages before. And she'd be like, oh, my art, it's not improving. I'm, I'm I, you know, I really want to get better. But then what she did is she flipped back to page one and she goes, wow, I'm a completely different person from page one to page 100. A lot of times we compare ourselves maybe to the, the latest data point, the late, the, the last session, the last week even, was actually sometimes I think, wow, let's actually pause. Can we not compare ourselves to the growth and improvement we were as a person six months ago, nine months ago? And sometimes I think we get a little bit wrapped up in the moment, which yeah. I'm all about the moment, but sometimes we need to actually look at a long-term zoomed yeah. out perspective on it. So, you know, those are the things I'm hearing you say, and, and it yeah. sounds like you're, 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 you're putting that message across to the, the girls you work with. Yeah. Um, I've just got another little thread I want to talk to you about. And, and again, uh, we're a slightly older generation for this because we didn't have to wrestle with social media as a, as a teenager. And obviously now that's a, a huge thing. And it's a lot of the maybe identity and validation from teenagers comes from social media, comes from strangers, comes from external factors. And not only that, and then there's the comparison factor of the, the lives of perfect strangers. And I think you add all that into the mix about the external validation, comparing ourselves to these perfect strangers. Um, and by the way, I don't think this is just a problem for girls. I think it's yeah, like yeah. this transcends everything. What's your thoughts on that? And, and how do you actually try and wrestle with, with that concept of it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you should say, like, uh, very um, sort of real life um, moments happened during lockdown with this sort of thing more than more than ever. I, I obviously was having a lot of conversations sort of online with players and 
they were the players were struggling mentally to get motivated I mean it, it's obviously a bigger topic but we know that was an area of people like they had, it was difficult they didn't have tournaments and mm. they were seeing other players videos of them training so well and like they were I remember them a couple of the girls going I'm really struggling to try like I'm talking even sort of pro players saying I'm really struggling to sort of get up and get training and do a full proper week and all this. Mm-hmm. And they were like, and but whoever, not naming any names, she's smashing out the roots, like like these amazing like physical routines and she's doing this and she looks really like she's loving every second of it. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, don't believe it. Just please, like, you, ha- you have to make sure everyone's aware that how we look and how we are it is because you we all know you talk to your friends and it looks great and then you talk to them they're like oh I've had a really rubbish week and then there's this picture that looks amazing and I think <laughs> it is a really tricky area like you say we didn't have to do that so we didn't have as a player I didn't mm. nothing was on I mean it was before even squash tv and stuff so no one saw what anyone was doing behind the scenes the only thing was if if you told them or you turn up at a tournament and you obviously you're doing something different. It was, so I think it, it was a really, it was a really big area. I had to keep saying to people like, you've either got to try not to look at it, which I know is difficult and it's almost unrealistic because they want, that's part of people's lives now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or you just have to, just have to realize that it's not always as it seems. And, and, everyone out there had a struggle through lockdown I didn't speak to anyone who didn't everyone found certain areas of it harder and and I think that then yeah that sort of transfers to to even now like just making sure people are aware that Mm. it isn't easy I mean and 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 there's no problem with saying this is hard like I'm struggling here I think I think that's I mean I know sort of links into that mental health side and I know a lot a lot of players do have anxiety and anxiety and I've probably spoke to more girls about it than boys just because they probably open up more to me I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not I don't know the statistics on boys to girls with it but there's obviously those worries and those anxieties and those doubts and all that um that is that is an area obviously I know you've talked about a lot that it's 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 hard because it's not an easy thing to deal with but I think Mm -hmm. the more we can encourage girls to look at the positive in the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Side of themselves mm-hmm. and realize and accept the real reality is that life isn't easy at times. Mm-hmm. And you know, like just getting. I used to sometimes. I got to a stage where I tried not to tell anyone any of my weaknesses and. You do get you do get to a point where you're like I've, I've just and you need to bring they need to come out yeah but I tell the right people talk to the right people about it and you don't have to put it on social media but you, yeah. you talk to the people that you you trust about mm. these things 
Yeah, no, and, and a, a huge part of, of Squash Mind and what I'm trying to do is, is the mental health angle as well. Like definitely these conversations we're having on the podcast and some of the lessons I'm trying to put on is very much, it's okay. It's okay to not feel okay. I think, you know, and lockdown seemed like it accelerated it in, in a good way. And what I mean by that is people were actually more willing to oh, wow. talk about it and come out. And I know the PSA and the PSA Foundation are doing a lot of work with this. Um, you know, obviously someone comes to mind quickly with is Amanda Sobe talking about her eating disorders yeah. and put that out there into the general public and very brave of her to do that. And, you know, possibly could show signs of weakness to her compatriots. But if you look at her in the last couple of tournaments, she's really kind of found her niche again. She's found, you know, I think she went through a little bit of a dip after saying that but she's starting to really express herself that actually this is okay. And I'm okay with being this type of person. So yeah, I think, you know, thank you for expressing that as well, Tanya and almost encouraging people to come forward, but not necessarily on those channels of social media, possibly. I think that's, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's getting the balance, right. Isn't it? You don't want to, I think it's important to have these big messages, like you say, and being honest, I guess it's, it's the fine line, isn't it? Like, like sort of putting everything out there all the time and picking those moments where it's really, this is an important part of my life here and this goes. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I know from when I was a junior, we had, um, considering it was so long ago, we had a lady who was, a, who was an England sort of top player who came into one of our squads and talked to us about she'd had an eating disorder. And I remember at the time, like, this, wow what I sort of I didn't really heard of it about it and it was just like not really talked about much was it mm. we all sat there and I was like oh my gosh she, she did this and she did that and and I think it, it stuck with me I mean I was probably only 12 at the time and right. I really remember that conversation we had with her and it's always made me sort of aware of it through my whole career of how sports people can that can lead to it we're trying to get obviously the best out of ourselves physically mm. and there's and I deprived myself of a lot of food like different foods and didn't do this I didn't drink I didn't have chocolate I didn't have this and I was really quite careful but that could easily have transpired like got worse into yeah. the fact that I was like but I it luckily for me obviously I I, I sort of was aware of the situation and I, and I managed to get the balance right mm-hmm. you um it is very hard and it's something that we didn't probably talk about much so I think that one person coming into a squad of it for us as a junior yep. probably did stick with me for, for the rest of, I still can remember it right now so mm, nice well I say nice but nice that you were exposed to it and you know it, it made you probably helped you a little bit mentally and now you you also feel confident to talk on on the platform around it yeah. um okay so let's 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 get a little bit more into the detail of of, of a few little things here and and there's a few little avenues to explore um so let's talk about maybe the tactical differences. So, you know, maybe the tactical differences in, in the female squash and maybe even highlight some tools that that can help address these tactical differences that maybe females need to be aware of. Yeah, I think, um, uh, like I sort of said a little bit about earlier, the, if, if the average rally length between male and female squash is is shorter. It's um, obviously different from pros through to club, but it is in general shorter. So um, obviously... And the match lengths are shorter. So we get a bit sort of bogged down in like these sessions that are two hours long. But the average girls match in a tournament, a junior or even like a ladies team match, for example, say, you 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 don't often get past sort of 45 minutes. I mean, obviously the senior game, they can, but generally. So sessions that go on for two, two and a half hours, not necessarily replicating what, what happens in a match. And I think... Um, the type of squash again it's it's very generalized but generally mm-hmm. girls do 
not hit so hard they use they lift more and you tend to see more short work and a little bit more sort of hold and things like that so I think it's just I think the, the, the challenge we have in at the moment and obviously it's something we're wanting to address is that a lot of girls are playing against guys in practice and then they go to a tournament and obviously they're playing a girl which is a slightly different style I even have that now with the seniors they play a team match against a guy that is literally smashing it up and down the wall and then suddenly they come in with someone plays a soft drop or they hold and boast. And it's like, oh, gosh, this I, I, I thought I was really moving well and feeling really fast. Yet suddenly this person's like come and change the way they're playing. And actually, I don't feel that fast anymore. And I think mm. just trying to and, and I encourage I encourage the girls I work with to make sure they plan their diary and get themselves to hit with either guys that play a bit like girls which is quite an interesting one. But there are guys out there that play a bit more like you think a girl's style of play. And to also just venture out, go out of your comfort zone a bit and call up like whoever down the road, like even if they're half an hour, you've got to put yourself out there and go and train um, and play against people that are different. I think we've got a big issue with people coming through and they only hit with the same people all the time. It's, and, and, and how is that going to allow you to like we say, not only sort of tactically, but like mentally as well, adapt yeah. to different styles of play and, and feel what it's like to be out of your comfort zone. In a tournament, could play anyone. doesn't matter. Like you've got no say in that whatsoever. So why wouldn't you practice against different people? So I think that's something that I, I put myself out um, of my comfort zone regularly. I don't mean like chucking myself under a bus like every day, but just mm-hmm. something that was a little stretch that I was like, oh, a bit nervous. I'm just going to call up. Sarah Fitzgerald, who's world number one, and I'm like 40 in the world. And I'm going to say, can I come and hit with you? And I'm going to, you know what I mean? That's Mm. those little things. And I think that's so tactically, you you need to make sure your training at times replicates that style of play. So you'll you'll just get used to that, that as well. I don't mean don't play the guys. Obviously, that's still important. But play that other awkward guy that you don't really like playing. Mm. I used to call up, there was a guy at our club that had the most awful drop game and reverse <laughs> angles and just like never rallied. Yeah, Literally didn't two shot rallies, but I had challenged myself. I'm going to get every ball back, mm. whatever he does. And you sort of have to, you have to play those players, which are, exactly. I think we, we're a bit more reluctant these days to put ourselves out there in the world sort of make it hard for ourselves yeah. sometimes you know like mm. not everyone but we mm. it, it's but easy well, yeah there's there, there's an interesting thing around maybe accessing a flow state or, or you know <clears throat> improving your skills and they, they it's kind of hard to kind of exactly think about this for squash but they actually talk about the four percent rule and can you expose yourself to an environment that's four percent above your skill set so whether that's a play i know it's hard to contextualize that in squash yeah, but yeah they're talking about even like 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 in chess or learning you know musical instruments where's that four percent rule and they've actually yeah, started to identify that that's where people feel that their that their skills need to be just stretched a little bit but it's yeah, just yeah. enough of an environment that keeps them interested because obviously when when the challenge is too high yeah, yeah. anxiety kicks in or the challenge is too low it becomes quite boring so yeah, it's, yeah. it's that i quite like that four percent rule to get into that flow channel so maybe there's yeah, a little, no, that little, makes little, total little... sense that i think it's it, again it relates that back to those little small steps isn't it and just pushing mm. yourself that little bit more to get because you never get comfortable if you haven't actually just stretched that that bit and that's that that's what um what if you're going to improve 
Yeah. I think it's important to know your goals, isn't it? If you want to become a better player and you want to do this and that, then you have to. If you're happy just enjoying a game of squash, and it's a bit different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You, you can just chuck, you play the same person every week. It's fine if that's yeah. what you, you want. Right. So mm. it's, totally. it links back to what you actually want out of squash, doesn't it? Whether it's just to get fit or whether it's to actually get into the team or get... Of the rankings or whatever exactly well that that transition that transitions us really nicely to i think maybe the emotional and mental differences um with female players and if you could please highlight some of these and also maybe think about some tools so so we've done a bit of the tactical we've done a bit of the physical let's maybe touch on the emotional and mental differences so what comes to mind when i ask you that yeah i mean like I always, have, I always find myself be, being careful because not wanting to say the wrong thing when we talk about this. So I don't want people to perceive, oh, women are soft and men are strong, you know, because that's obviously an area that we get in the world. But again, on my experience, the confidence, the belief, the sort of dealing with pressure and, and just when I've spoke to uh, the girls alongside the guys that play, it's an area that definitely women find more difficult and um like I said body body language and um just just having that like outward confidence I think we girls worry more about things and I I mean this is obviously there's a a lot you can talk about obviously um I think worry about what they look like on court I've had I've had girls that will not hit on a glass back court literally will not they just say and so that then restricts them doesn't it in a lot of tournaments Mm-hmm. Um, they won't let me film them because they can't bear to watch it. I've never ever had a guy say that to me, but I have had a female say to me, "Look, I, I don't want you to video me. I can't. I'm not watching it back. I hate looking at myself." Um, and I'm not saying guys don't do that, but this mm-hmm. is the experience that I've had. Um, also, like, I think the emotional side of the pull from the pull from the world of friends and other outside things is more difficult for girls. So you. Mates are going out or whatever, going to spend the day doing something, and you want to train, and it's yeah. like, oh come on, like. Whereas it be a guy just like, oh, forget, like sort of get lost. I'm doing what I want, but we we're, we're a little bit more as females worried about what people think of us. So yeah. we always try and please people, and and I think that then becomes like a battle of like, oh, I want to train, but my friends are going out, and that that's hard, especially growing up as a teenager. Um, I've moments where I was like. My friends were like, "Come on, what are you doing? Like, come, come and come out. Like, mm. why are you going to that tournament? Why?" You and you miss, you miss things in in growing up. That if you want to play tournaments, that parties and things. So yeah. I think that's that's sort of a slightly like off tangent, maybe, but it's really no, important. No, no. I think worrying about what people think is what I'm like. That is something. So, um, and then obviously, I know it's something that's important to talk about. That obviously, when girls start having their periods and emotions come into it, and uh, that's a time in your life that's hard anyway and I know it affects a lot of a lot of girls like whether it's the pain whether it's the emotional side whether it's I know it's like sort of people like don't want people to obviously take the mick but we yeah. like, like you do you physically feel more clumsy for example like it's, okay. it's like all these things that are happening and um the the uh, it's probably the biggest reason why girls give up sport as mm-hmm. I, I have actually read that in the past Oh, when wow. obviously they start their periods and then they actually don't play sport after that and it's oh, wow yeah it's 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 really common for girls to give up sport at that point and it's mm. 
it's really it's really sad but yeah the emotions and, and just obviously- so can i unpack that a bit tanya because again this is obviously territory i'm completely uh, you know a complete amateur in so let's just stay with that period menstrual cycle uh, piece for a bit so what i heard you say obviously the clumsiness and you're not feeling great and then the giving up of, of sports um let's start with that second point the, the, the giving up of sports around maybe when girls start having their menstrual cycle and period do you know why that is I think it's I think it's just a number of things. So obviously your body shape changing. Obviously you're developing more female adult adult body, which then is you're more aware of it, and it just it's probably a little bit more again comes from the confidence of being out there running around, and your your body's not quite is feeling different, and you're a little bit it's a bit maybe an embarrassment. I mean, obviously just mm-hmm. the whole the whole sort of physical side of having a period isn't necessarily nice running around when that's happening in your in your body yeah um and I think it's just the confidence thing I think like I, I, I like I say I don't want to sort of talk about women like being soft or anything but we get they get more teary more upset about things more like just things bother you more at that time and it it's it's just sort of so you, all these worries anxieties and it's like oh and then if you don't want to go to training and you miss a few sessions and you just sort of get out of the habit of it. And sure. I think it's more, it's more that obviously the, the, I think the, the body shape changing and, and things like that, that are really probably, mm. um, I mean, obviously I, I, I don't know for death for hundred percent, but that's what I perceive what it, thinking, it, yeah, it yeah. must be. And then, and then that piece around, I suppose, clumsiness and not quite feeling. And then yeah. what I'm trying to get at is, how do you how do you work with players going through that period that menstrual cycle um when things aren't quite clicking and and, and how do those conversations go with some of the players you might be working with uh, in regard to that yeah i mean um just just sort of to highlight it just out of interest i have actually spoke i've spoke so that we had a few players that played for england with me that were really struggled at this time and they used to say i just can't time the ball i actually can't hit the ball today and i was like luckily for me i did did suffer a little bit but not to that extent so I was like wow this is and I think again it's um it's just trying to bring them back to when it comes to uh, hitting the ball and moving just just focus back in on feeling what the movement feels like when it's good and concentrating on something just as simple as watching the ball you know really bring it back to basics with movement and and think and, and and again accepting that it might feel a bit more difficult today you can still play there's a that is possible there are a lot of women obviously going through this and feeling like you and I think it's it's for girls to talk to each other about it and be like oh yeah I feel like I'm just not timing the ball that well but it's it's and, it, and I think a lot of girls sometimes they they are used to not necessarily play or train much through that obviously week or how many days they're having a period and it's like no you need to you need mm. to get used to it because you will get used to it and go on and maybe just make sure you do your solo practice and train through it and i know there's a lot of research which is i know another conversation on on when's best to do your training around it i know there's a lot of people that put good work into it and there's more and more research coming out which will help um probably getting there now more and more but mm. that's something that probably over the years we'll, we'll be able to see a bit more help with that but yeah i think mm. it's just getting getting players to practice and play and, and break the shot down, maybe just like focus just on simple things, you know, like what we would do when people are struggling yes. in general, you know, some days yes. you don't feel like you're timing the ball well, whether you've got, mm. whether it's a period or whether it's just because it's, it's happening you don't always mm. know. So I think it's um, similar tools to that, but yeah. I think the fact that they can talk to a coach or whoever about it helps to say, mm. look, I don't feel great today. 
um mm. and then they, you can then explore and how how you can help them with that yeah. And yeah, this is amazing. Thank you, Tanya. And, and again, I completely wanted to have these type of conversations on, on this platform around it. Uh, and, you know, the the idea about the mental aspect I'm going to bring in here, the little mental thing where you said stripping it down to its basics. Yeah, that's such a mental tool. We probably need it most times in matches, you know, when when the thoughts, we're, we're dwelling on the past, we're forecasting to the future. We've got to keep asking ourselves, what, what do we have 100% control over? What can we try focus on in this moment to be able to keep ourselves present? And yeah, so, you know, I know you're using it through the lens of, of maybe a lady having a period or menstrual cycle, but I think there's a, a massive overarching mental aspect here as well, yeah. like in regard to just pressure, nerves, anxiety, yeah. even, even linking in like body image and stuff going, but actually you can control these aspects. So can you drill down into that little process? So yeah. I think I think there, there, there's some good stuff in there to talk about. Um, so no, I think, well, again, that whole emotional mental aspect, I think you, you've you've put it across uh, amazingly well. And before I move on, was there anything else you wanted to explore yeah, think, in regard to that? I think what you just said there, and I think we probably, maybe if we will touch on it, but that, that sort of links back to that, um, the mental tools I'm just thinking about some tournaments I had where mm. I was really felt under pressure and had some really hard matches and that simple stuff like I used to just pick a target on the court and I hit that and that was it so it's, I think that's sort of like what you're saying there or mm -hmm. I remember one tournament I think it's a Malaysian Open I was playing Natalie Grinham who was two in the world at the time and and all I did was think I'm gonna just watch that ball wherever it goes that's all I'm doing all I did and I, I remember it's one of the best matches I ever played and you look back and you think I was like a full-time pro and all these technical things we were doing. Yeah, all I thought about for that whole match was I'm just going to, that ball, I'm seeing wherever it goes all the time and that's it. And I think that is where you strip those mental tools, like you say, right back. And you've hit that target in your practice over and over again, visualise that. And that's what, and I think, I think like you say, the nerves and anxiety... Um, and I remember I used to obviously I, I Paul Carter was my coach and he he was he was just so good at helping me with all of this stuff and he used to say just picture my face on your opponent like I know it doesn't always work for everyone but it's just like <laughs> the way you're hitting the ball against me now literally like he used to be he used to be very positive talk we know yeah. that and he'd say look no girl in the world hits the ball as well as you look how you're hitting this when I'm feeding you just picture yourself on court with me being fed a ball and how nice. strong how how good you hit it. And, and, and uh, there's so many little things like that that you've been told or you you can mm. think over the years that just take you back, don't they? Just to being in that moment of just simple stuff and not, like you say, there's players, look, you're looking out of a glass court and there's people everywhere and your opponent's trying to upset you and mm. that, like, you get, like, there's, the ref might have made a bad decision. All these things that distract you, you just brings you right back to that and that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. And well, that's exactly it. I think, I think overthinking is a big problem, especially someone who has put hours of work in and getting really detailed in their technique and going, okay, right now I need to go put this on, on, on a big platform. I need to rise to the occasion of this match in this tournament, whereas actually that's possibly the worst thing you can do mentally for yourself. And it's kind of going, okay, I accept I want to do my best and reach my maximum. But I think your Natalie Grinham uh, example is, is absolutely perfect. You know, just studying the flight of the ball, uh, yeah. very similar one I, I actually do with my players now I do a little bit of what I call meditative squash where I'm feeding them but I give them one thing to focus on and it can be anything from like the breathing through the nose but one of them I'm doing now is for them to try study the dots on the balls as the ball's flying it's nearly impossible to do but yeah, the fact yeah. is that is almost impossible is, is the focus is just like you got one task 
And what I'm also then trying to get them to do is then notice when their mind has wondered, when they're now judging their shot, when they're judging certain things. And actually, that's fine to judge it, but can you just bring yourself back into the task you're doing? And I think the more I'm trying and what sounds like you doing, the more you can help players with that part of their mind and that part of their brain, it only gets stronger, doesn't it? You know, you're practicing yeah. that idea where you take away all the white noise, all the things that are going to distract you, whether it's opponent, ref, crowd, um, status, outcome, result, and going, my task is one, maybe two things at the most. Yeah. And it sounds really easy to talk about, doesn't it? Like, over yeah, yeah. what we're doing, but you add all of that in and it's like, where's that mind going? And like anything, it needs constant practice. You know, it, yeah. you can't just turn it on under pressure. You need to practice it away from pressure. You need to yeah, practice yeah. it in mid pressure. Then obviously if you can transition it into the match, that's, that's really powerful. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, let's just maybe explore that a bit more. Um, and again, I, I think I was going to ask you the idea of, you know, you've mentioned a few, but, but any further mental tools during match play during competition i don't know if there's uh, this is by the way not just for females uh, you know i know yeah, yeah. chat is looking at through the female lens but i think so much of this is transferable but does anything else come to mind and and maybe if it is linked a bit more to the female side um when i ask you about tools for matches and competition yeah i think i think it is and i think you just sort of said there it's 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 not overthinking it and it's not trying to sort of not be too aware of anything, any of these distractions are going on. I think, I think, I think it's not. There's not the, the trouble with this stuff. There's not one fix for everyone. Like what maybe worked for me with that concentrating on that that the ball, but my well, it's worth a try. And I think, like you say, it's trial and error with this stuff. Try it. If that doesn't work, try something else, and something will will work for you. I mean, I I do stuff like I just literally put a little dot on someone's hand, and that's what they look at before they serve, or even if it's a letter on the grip, like nice. um, like I know a, a guy that I coach, he just puts a C and it's just calm. And that's what he thinks. And like you say, I think um, I think never underestimate the breathing, like you said, because um, that I did actually have some weirdly, um, sounds funny, but breathing physio through my career, which you said breathing physio, but actually teaching me to breathe properly, nice. which you, you do feel like, how can you not breathe? But mm. uh, if, as soon that's as your huge. breathing gets mm. short, so I mean, and I know we used to call it centering. I don't know if they still do when yeah. I was younger and just literally feeling your belly button go up and down and that just takes away anything else. And I think I, a big thing I do is make, is get people to take the grip hand off the racket, shake the grip, shake the hand, and put it back on the grip. Cause I find once that tension comes through the grip that goes all the way up your arm, doesn't it? Into your mind. But sometimes just take your hand out, put it in, take your racket out of your hand, put it in your left hand or which if you're right, vice versa, shake it out then just rep, put it back on softly and then just things like that. Um, and I know every, every, you can find your own little pre, sort of pre-serve routine where you might just look at, look at your grip, you might look mm. at your shoe, you might just wipe your hand. You know, everyone finds a way. I mean, I, I used to just sort of wipe my hand, sort of look at my racket and then go. And it's just some simple little tool that basically makes you forget that last rally. Yep. Whatever's happened, because again... Um, I do quite a bit of sort of playing. If I do a playing lesson with someone, and I stop and say, "Okay, so what are you thinking? What do, what are you thinking right now?" And they'll go, "That shot I hit in the tin two rallies ago," mm -hmm. and that's where you're like, you're having to teach them to live in that moment. And that that thought about that tin two shots ago is clearly affecting you right now because you look stressed. There's tension in your arm. You move, and before yeah. you know it, your movement goes. So I think. 
I think that 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 just practicing those, like you say. But for me as well, I know um, I know you. I'm not again an expert. But I know you talk about it a lot. But visualization of at times where you just sit and, and feel the movement, feel your swing, and when it's good, if you've hit a good shot in practicing that day, just sit there, shut your eyes, and play it through. Or if you're just walking down the street, feel it. Because I think I used to fall back to what feels good with my movement because movement was obviously a big part of my game so I would feel strong feel quick and and I'd I'd go back to that or start off before a match thinking about that Mm. so I knew that was that was what got me into that sort of and I've always managed to then start matches feeling pretty good even Mm. though I I was nervous and what have you so Mm. um, but the the big thing for me as well is this needs to happen also in the knock-up because a lot of people, they do their pre-match sort of match, warm-up, mentally get focused, and they go into the knock-up, and then they just stand there, and they don't think about anything, chuck the ball around. But you've got to continue that through the knock-up, where your, your mind is just, whether it's watching the ball or whatever it is that your thing is, so you're, you're then, you're not dropping off it before mm, the game. Totally. Sure, there's some seriously powerful tools there. So thank you, Tanya. I'm, I'm hearing obviously breathing is one thing, uh, triggers and anchors, you know, whether it's the letter or touching things. Um, visualization, huge fan of visualization and, and you know, really encourage players to do it both in a formal and informal setting. Um, you know, and even maybe just sometimes the words you tell yourself, the, the story you have in your mind. But yeah, just trying to do those triggers and, and some really powerful tools. So so thanks for exploring that with us. Um, one more, Jesse. I just yeah. suddenly thought of a thing that, that we did. We often before England team events our video analysis guy we haven't all got access to that but used to literally just pick out two minutes of our best shots nice and we used to have a video with our favorite music on it and a minute even of, and I think that's actually I know we can't all do that but we've got mobile phones now so yeah. you can literally just for especially and I think this is even more relevant for girls because they don't have that cocky confidence sort of going on where they can look you give seven ten of a little montage even if it's 30 seconds of 10 good shots of the bet that they've hit and go watch that before you play just or just generally watch it occasionally and realize how good you you don't really you make sure they realize they're better than they sometimes think they are amazing I, i'm going to try use that tool and yeah i'll probably spend a lot of video editing time <laughs> <laughs> with some of my players doing that and i think that's one of the most valuable tools and we do have all access to it at the moment yeah. um so probably one of the last questions i want to ask tanya because you've been really kind with your time and i don't want to kind of step over or abuse it too much um <clears throat> i'm not sure where you want to take this but what I was going to propose to you is maybe talk about the differences, um, maybe the different age developments and different parts of, of, of female players and challenges they may bring. So some examples may include transitioning into puberty or young womanhood or post childbirth or even later womanhood. You know, there's, there's probably a whole podcast we could talk about each one yeah. of those. So what comes to mind and might be the most valuable possibly to talk about that we might not have touched on yet in regard to maybe some of those developmental parts of of women yeah I mean probably I mean I know we, we've touched on sort of puberty a fair bit so um I know obviously from personal experience having had children and coming back into sport that's a big area that we we, we also lose a lot of a lot of female players after they've had a baby to getting back into squash I think I probably um yeah I think I think there's a, there's a real issue obviously with our bodies change so much and obviously we naturally you, you put on weight and you get it's it is part of having a baby and then you're you're then spending your time looking after a child so I think and not having the 
chance to really have time to do too much. So I think that that area is probably something with squash as well. You're very, very rare. You don't see very many sort of parents with three, two, three, four-year-old kids playing squash still. It's it's, yeah, it's, okay. it's a fact. I know it. I see it in my own club. So um, I guess that and, and, and the, the tools around that are easier when you have been sporty. So for me to come back after having a baby, although it was very hard and my body went through a serious trauma and stuff, I'd, I'd had those fundamental habits of training my whole life, which gave me that easier transition back into sport. But I think it's making sure that, I think it's just that not being frightened and that comfort zone stuff. And once you break through the door, I, I've tried, I've encouraged some of my mum friends to come and do racquetball and they've, they loved it and they were like oh but I won't be very good and I'm this and I'm that and I've gone on and I've just hit with them going I don't care whatever miss the ball what does it matter and you sort of I think that encouragement to almost laugh about it a bit and make a bit of a joke look we of course we've just had a baby like like, if I can win a rally against you I've just had a baby then I don't care so like you know what I mean and I I mean I, I laugh about it now when I play the guys at the club and I'm like I've had a baby, guys. What are you doing? Like, sort of, just a bit. I think just have a Normalize bit of a laugh it. Yeah, it. normalizing, yeah, make it, make yeah. it fun. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it's just generally good to be fit and healthy for yourself, for your children. And I think it's just um, people worry. I've, I've, got, I've got friends that do. They, 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 they are, after having a baby, they do get depression because they feel they don't feel good in themselves. And then they're looking after this baby. They haven't got time for themselves. And I think. We need to realise that post, like mums, need to still have their own time and do whatever it is. And and squash and racquetball socially is so good that I think and it, and it, and it doesn't have to be loads, does it? Just a little bit, half an hour. Yeah. Half an hour run out is is good. And I, I don't really necessarily know all the answers because it is a challenge. But I think mm-hmm. just accepting and, and and other people being aware, and especially obviously males being aware that flipping out this is hard for for ladies to get back in shape. It's not mm-hmm. easy, and but it's it's so important for their children and for themselves that they obviously they feel feel good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that's an area we probably haven't t- explored enough probably from like I, I've thought about it but I haven't really ever discussed it too much about that mm. challenge of, of that's another sort of something to think about though yeah oh well maybe this is the start of more of those conversations more of that challenge so no I think what you've said it, it, it makes complete sense and it, it's it's really encouraging the way you you speak about that topic so no thank you for for sharing that um so listen Tanya in in closing um you know we've we've discussed a lot there's so many avenues and I feel we could have gone down so many more rabbit holes yeah. but maybe as a possibly a final message from yourself or maybe a, a little summary what we've spoken about for the listeners to take away what do you think might be the most important or couple of the most important uh, topics we might have discussed and and any of those strong final messages for the listeners yeah I think I think the the big message we started with really was the importance of being aware that male and female we are different not necessarily needing to make it a huge big deal but you have to be aware of it and you have to understand make sure there's an understanding there of the differences and how you might want to work slightly differently with a female at times Um, and I think the, the the big thing for me is sort of almost that not try not to take yourself too seriously with it. And I think that mm-hmm. real honesty and not being afraid to say when you fit, when it, if it's hard or you're not feeling great, you squash. And, but just being aware that 
other people are feeling that and not being afraid to talk about it. Um, I think that's just so important. And the, probably the final thing is just that little comfort zone area. For me, the biggest thing that's made me a better player is challenging myself in those little steps outside of my comfort zone. And, mm. and the reward you get from it is worth it. So long term, you look back and you, you feel so good that that little bit of that little that anxiety and those nerves that were just you just had to step through the line. Once you do it, you'll get used to it and you enjoy it and you look back and you sort of like the end of the day, like I, I achieved that. And it's it's just getting that balance of, of not putting too much pressure on yourself, but making sure you just giving yourself that little opportunity to step outside your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I love that. Such strong messages. And that just on that last bit that you said, um, something I'm talking about can um can, can your actions and behaviors of your current self be thanked by your future self? So if your future self looks back and go, hey, that, that tenure in that moment did those right habits, behaviors, actions that made me that person I am down the line. I quite like looking at that, my, my, my future self, am I helping my future self? And are they going to be thankful of me in this moment by being out of my comfort zone, by putting myself out there, albeit with a bit of guide rails and a control factor, we don't want to go crazy on this because that could lead to burnout and mental anxiety and mental um, health issues. But yeah, I think that's a really nice, strong message there. Um, so Tanya, I think a lot of people I've learned a bucket load of things today so thank you so much for all of your knowledge your time your effort um so may I, I know you're super busy and you're probably having to turn away lessons but people that might have been affected um by listening to this i think it might be interesting to be able to reach out to you and yeah. what i was going to ask is where people could maybe find you if they want to maybe follow up with you yeah. or you know ask you for some advice along those lines where, where would the best place for them to be following you social media or you yeah know? so i do have facebook which is just tanya bailey and um i have a twitter page tanya squash cool. and then if you need an email address england squash website has my my details on there as well so yeah Amazing. i mean I, I literally could talk about this stuff like you jesse all day and like go into all areas so yeah it's really passionate about it so yeah i'm, I'm happy to have any discussions thoughts and any any sort of case studies of people that have had mm. situations similar and if they've done anything different I like I, I'd love to have anyone else's sort of ideas and I'm always open to nicking anything of everyone so yeah 100% and, and listen I'm, I'm so glad you're able to join me today I'm really insightful really different chat and Tanya Bailey thank you so much for your time today thanks Jesse hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.